Thank you, John. Good morning to everybody. Great to be together today, it really is. Good to see everybody here and good to have visitors with us. We thank you, we appreciate you so much. We pray that your time with us will be a blessing for you and your being here is already a blessing for us. We also want to encourage you that if you see anything or hear anything that you have any questions about, please ask us because we keep saying we simply want to be the church we all read about in the Bible. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Good to have a number who have been uh, not able to be with us lately because of illness, and we're glad to see you with us today. Let's be sure we keep all of those in the prayer list on our, in our prayers on a regular basis. Over the last several weeks, I've really been leading us in some thoughts that really go together and kind of progress from one, one uh, position in those, those, that line of thoughts to another. I began by talking about asking the question, are you neglecting your salvation? A whole lot of people in this world are neglecting their salvation. A whole lot of people in Omaha, Nebraska are neglecting their salvation. And in every other town and city and community across the country, and again, around the world. Then I talked about, okay, hopefully, and leading, leading us through some specifics as to how some people can neglect their salvation, not pay proper attention to their relationship with God. Mark was bringing out one particular uh, response by people this morning, and, and I know that's, that's common. When you begin to talk to somebody about God, about their relationship with God, about their salvation, about the Bible, they can just, in essence, say, stop, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. Well, that does not change the reality of the matter. And then, so I asked the question in following up from, are you neglecting your salvation? Who will stop waiting first, you or God? Because see, you're waiting. God's being patient right now, giving you time to come to repentance, 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. But ultimately, time's going to run out. For you as an individual, if you die first or for all of humanity, and that would include you if the Lord comes first. And so that's important. Last Sunday, I talked about self-esteem, where a lot of people think I'm too bad to be good, I'm just no good, I don't amount to anything. Well, where do we find the real source for self-esteem, for a sense of real self-worth, meaningful self-esteem? It's from our relationship with God in Christ and no place else. So we talked about that, how God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. He loves you as you are. That doesn't mean he approves of you as you are. He wants you to come to repentance, but he loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. And somebody might say, well, you don't know what things I've done. You don't know how bad I've been. I've done despicable things. I don't know. But God does, and that's why he sent Jesus to die for you. And so God has work for you to do if you will come to him. God will continue to work with you and help you and even protect you from the devil's temptations. So today, I want to follow up a little further. And I want to emphasize that however you look at yourself and however you think that your station in life is so difficult for you to be able to live that faithful Christian life, you can do it. You can do it. Don't let the devil deceive you into thinking you're too weak, you can't do it, no way, just give up, don't even try. 
You can do it. God promised that you can. You can get to heaven. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, and things are not working. Okay, 1 John 5 and verse 13. The Apostle John wrote along this line. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So John says, and this is God's word, so God is speaking here. I'm writing these things by inspiration. This is God's word. He's saying, based on these things that I'm writing to you, you can have confidence if you're walking with the Lord in faithful obedience, if you've been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins and you continue to live faithfully before him in obedience and dedication, you can know that you have eternal life and that you can continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Sometimes people, and this is both non-Christians and Christians alike, become discouraged about their prospects for getting to heaven. Well, again, the non-Christian, he might think, again, I, I, I've lived too sinful a life. I am too bad to be good. Or, or maybe that non-Christian that non is caught up in a sinful lifestyle that he just doesn't seem to be able to shake. And we can relate to that in our culture today. There are a whole lot of people living in sinful lifestyles, and they're, they're so embedded in them that they may feel like, I, I don't know how to get out of this. I, I've tried to quit, but I, I just I can't seem to do it consistently. And then there are some Christians who they find themselves in some difficult, challenging times because of some of the situations in their life the devil using those situations to tempt them, to try to draw them back into sinfulness, into sinful lifestyles, and, and, and they find themselves really challenged to continue to live the faithful Christian life. And so they're concerned about their eternal salvation. Now, not to minimize the seriousness of any of those problems, and I just kind of gave a, a, a brief general kind of overview of what non-Christians and Christians alike, what they, what they face and what they deal with, not to minimize the seriousness of any of those problems. But if a person will become a Christian, truly become a Christian, he can take heart realizing that, at, that God knows at times we struggle and we even fail. But he'll be there to forgive us if we'll come to him asking forgiveness through Jesus Christ in prayer as a Christian. Now, 1 John chapter 1, beginning with verse 8, running down through verse two, uh, chapter 2 and verse 2, if we say that we have no sin, now who's John writing this letter to? Primarily to Christians. Now, do the principles, should, are they there to encourage the non-Christian to become a Christian, to be baptized into Christ for the remission of his sins? Yes, absolutely. But this is primarily written to Christians. And so John says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Christians sin? Yeah, every one of us would raise our hand, wouldn't we? There are times when we mess up, we commit sin. He goes on and says, if we confess our sins, and so we might even think in our mind, the sense is, but if we confess our sins, he is just and faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
So even when we do mess up, even when we do make that mistake, even when we do commit a sin, God wants to forgive us again. If we'll confess those sins to him and come to him through Jesus Christ in prayer, he'll forgive us for our sins. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. That's the beginning of chapter two. I'm writing these to you, encouraging you and warning you and instructing you. My goal in writing this is that you won't sin but then he goes on and says, and if anyone sins, again, we might think about that inserting in our mind the sense of, but if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's there in the throne room in heaven to plead our case as we repent of those sins and come to God through him, through Jesus in prayer. He's there to plead our case. The blood that he shed on the cross is still effective to cleanse us of the guilt of that sin. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. So we can have confidence. And so here's the point. As we continue this general theme, don't let the devil discourage you. Don't let him beat you down. Don't let him think that you can't do it. Don't give up. Because with God's help, and he's promised to, have his, to help you, with God's help, you can do it. You can get to heaven. Don't let the devil think it's an impossibility for you. You can get to heaven. So important that we recognize that and that we take it to heart. When we look at Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 12, the apostle Paul wrote this. And he's talking about his own personal life. Now, you talk about, a, about a, an absolute change, 180 degrees. He was an enemy of Christ. He persecuted the church. He didn't believe in Jesus. He believed Christianity was, was blasphemy. And then he learned the truth. He became a Christian. Ananias, sent by the Lord, Acts 22 and verse 16, came to him and said, Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling in the name of the Lord. And he did. He obeyed. He became a Christian. He became a gospel preacher. The Lord appointed him as a divinely appointed apostle of Christ. And so, but he's still, he's still living the life. He still experiences the temptations, the difficulties, the challenges. The devil's still after him. And so he says, not that I've already attained. I'm not in heaven yet. Or I'm already perfected. But I press on that I may hold to, uh, that I may lay hold of that by which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. I want to lay hold of that eternal home in heaven. Christ has laid hold of me. I believe in him. I believe in him, and I've obeyed the gospel. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I'm not there yet in its ultimate fullness. But one thing I do, this is my primary goal in life, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the prize, toward the goal for the prize of the, of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I've tried to get across for decades 
not just while I've been here at Sunny Slope, but for many years before that, the only thing that matters in life, primarily, number one, and that's what Paul's bringing out, is getting to heaven. That's the only thing that matters, getting to heaven. And I've said again, I had a lady tell me one time, well, I think maybe someone taking somebody with us, if you ain't going, you ain't taking nobody with you. Get that down pat in your mind first. If you're not going to heaven, you're not going to take somebody up to heaven with you. Getting to heaven. It's not how much money we can save. It's not how high we can climb in social circles. It's not how, uh, how, how accomplished we can be in our profession. It's getting to heaven. That's the only thing that matters. And that's what Paul's bringing out there. This one thing I do, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, look at these five blessings of assurance that God gives us through his word that do assure us that you can do it. You can get to heaven. First, God loves you so much that he took extraordinary measures to make the way for you to get to heaven. Big if, though, if you really want to go there. Now, you need to stop and ask yourself, do I really want to go there? Am I willing to make the commitment? John chapter 3 and verse 16, for God so loved the world, you, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, you, should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5 and verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us, toward you, in that while we, you, were still sinners, Christ died for us, for you. God's love sent his son into the world specifically to call you to repentance. Matthew 5, 4 and verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that word mean? A change of mind literally is what the word means. But inherent within that understanding, it's a change of mind that leads to a change of life. A change of focus, a change in behavior, a change of lifestyle. God's love, God, his love sent him for you, sent his son to that cross to call you to repentance. In 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 9, God showed his love for you. And you talk about love? Would you sacrifice your son for somebody else willingly, purposefully? God did that for you. Beginning with verse, with verse 9 in 1 John chapter 4, in this the love of God was manifested, that is demonstrated toward us, toward you, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the substitute for us by hanging on that cross and bearing the guilt of our sins. God loves you that much. He demonstrated his love for you in that graphic, incredible way. And God still is patiently waiting for you to respond to his love. 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, 
but is long-suffering, that is patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And coming to repentance is your responsibility. God expects that of you, but he's giving you time. But again, ultimately, time will run out. So God loves you so much that he took extraordinary measures to make the way for you to get to heaven if you really want to go there. That's the first blessing. The second blessing, Christ came specifically to call you to salvation in him. We look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. He issued what we call the great invitation. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm not talking about a good night's sleep. He's talking about He's talking about spiritual rest. Being able to put your head on the pillow at night knowing I'm in Christ. I'm forgiven. I'm saved. Remember that first verse we looked at, 1 John 5 and verse 13? I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And so we can rest physically, but the rest that he's talking about primarily is spiritual rest. I can be at peace of mind. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Rest for your souls. Jesus came specifically to save sinners, and that's you. Don't let the devil tell you you can't be forgiven. He came to this, to this world to call sinners to repentance and salvation in him. Acts 4 and verse 12, the apostles said, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The apostle Paul again, who made that 180 degree change in his life, he wrote in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15, this is a faithful saying. A faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am chief, he said. In fact, in the Greek, the sense might actually be there, of whom I am the chief of sinners. And look at me. He saved me. He made me an apostle. I'm a preacher of the gospel. I changed my life. Christ came to call you to salvation. And no outside force, not even the devil himself, can separate you from your Savior without your permission. Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of God or of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or peril, or sword, things of this world. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Now certainly, from about the second half of the first century on down for about 250 years or so, <clears throat> Christians were persecuted, even to the death. But the devil throws all kinds of temptations at us, all kinds of challenges and trials. Paul went on and said, yet in all these things, 
we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Paul experienced a whole lot of attempts on the part of the devil through humankind to separate him from the love of God in Christ. But he stayed firm. God assures us of that. If Christ are in Christ, you can find the strength and the direction to face your problem. Paul again talking about himself. Philippians chapter 4 beginning with verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content because of who he is, what he is at this point. He's a Christian. He's saved. He's in Christ. I know how to be a base that is brought low. I know how to abound. Everything's going great and hunky-dory. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. What's your secret, Paul? Because let me tell you, Humanity today needs to know that secret. All across this land and all around the world, what's your secret? How can you do it? How do you know how, how can you make it with such a positive feeling and, and, and just mindset of contentment, even in the face of all those times that you're down? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God sent Jesus as your savior. God loves you so much that he went to extraordinary measures to make the way for you to be able to get to heaven if you really want to go there. And the alternative to going to heaven is too terrible to contemplate. And second, Christ came specifically to call you to salvation. The third blessing, God is on your side to help you get to heaven. What a great promise, what a great encouragement, what a great, great confidence that is. When we look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse 3, the Apostle Paul wrote, This is good and accountable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God loves you. He wants to help you get to heaven. And if God is for you, then who in the world or what in the world can stand against you? Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, for you. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? you realize the sacrifice that God made for you? And if he made that sacrifice for you, he's for you. And he will see you through if you'll let him. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, speaking to Christians again, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And God has already promised that as you come to him in Christ, you become a Christian, he will not even let the devil tempt you beyond your strength. 
to be able to take care of that temptation and say no to it, indicating his personal assurance that with his help, you can do it. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to men. So the devil's not going to come up with some brand new temptation just for you and shoot it at you like a, an archer would shoot an arrow and say, I got you now. I know you can't bear this. God says, no, won't let that happen. God is faithful, it says, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make of the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God promises he'll be with you and make the way for you to be able to say no to whatever those temptations might be, whatever those challenges, whatever those difficulties might be. He will see you through. So again, first God loves you so much that he went to extraordinary measures to make the way for you to be able to be saved and be with him for all of eternity. To be able to go to heaven if you really want to go. Second, Christ came to call you to salvation. He came from the throne room in heaven specifically to call you to salvation. Third, God is on your side. He will walk with you, strengthen you, protect you, help you, bless you, as long as you walk with him in faithful obedience. Fourth blessing. God has blessed you with his word to guide you all along the way to heaven. First, he's given you his word to guide you to salvation in Christ. 2 Timothy 3, verses 15 through 17. From childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on and he says, God has also given you the road map, the guidebook, to live the faithful Christian life and be equipped for all the good works that God wants you to do. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God's very word and is profitable for doctrine, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God has given you the guidebook and it will help you navigate through all of the challenges that this life and the devil will throw at you. Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And then also in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, Paul says, study, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing, Handling correctly, making the proper applications to your life. The word of truth, God's word. God has given you the way. And as you are in his word consistently, it will strengthen your faith. Because faith comes by hearing the word of God. Romans 10 and verse 17. So God again has gone to extraordinary measures. Blessing number one to make the way for you to get to heaven. You can do it if you really want to go there. Second, Christ came to call you to salvation, specifically you to salvation. Third, God is on your side. He's not going to leave you alone as long as you stay with him. As long as you hold on to his hand, he'll never let go of yours and he'll protect you against all the 
challenges, dangers, temptations, difficulties that you'll experience through life. Fourth, God has blessed you with the ultimate guidebook to see you through every step of the way on that pathway to heaven. And then fifth, God has blessed you with the incredible power of prayer to talk to him directly any time, any time of any day and all through any day. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Jeremiah 3, or 33 in verse 3. Wow. Ephesians 3 in verse 20. The apostle Paul referring to God said, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask, that's prayer, or think according to the power that works in us. And that's God's power. Hebrews 4, beginning with verse 14, the Hebrews writer talks about how we can come to God boldly in prayer, seeing that then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, our confession of faith in him. For we do not have a high priest who cannot be who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we were are. He lived as a man on this earth, yet without sin. Here's a sense, therefore, that's not in the verse itself, but the sense is there. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We can come to God through prayer boldly, knowing that he cares and that he wants to hear from us. And we can have confidence that he will always answer. According to his wisdom, he knows better than we know, and according to his will. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sins, Again, John writing this primarily to Christians. He's already said, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. The truth is not in you. We still make mistakes. But he said, if we confess our sins, even as Christians, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God will not give up on you as long as you do not give up on God. If you stumble along the way, God has promised you in advance that he will forgive as you repent and pray for his forgiveness through Jesus Christ. My, how blessed we are. How, what confidence God offers us. You can do it. You can get to heaven. Don't let the devil convince you otherwise. Now think about these five blessings. God's love sent Jesus to the cross for you to pay the price for the guilt of your sins, for your redemption, for your forgiveness, for your salvation. Christ shed his blood for your forgiveness. God promises to help you, to be there for you and with you in times of temptation, difficulties, challenges, stresses, He'll be there with you and for you as long as you stay with him. God's word guides you to salvation and faithfulness as a Christian.
He hasn't left you in the dark. He's told you how to live the life. And that, again, the encouragement, I'll be with you every step of the way. And then also God blesses you to be able to talk to him in prayer. Those times when you're stressed, those times when you don't know which way to go, those times when you don't see the answer to some particular difficult situation, those times when you just need God's comfort. He says, talk to me. Call to me. I will answer. I'll show you great and mighty things that you don't know. So, the only real question is, the only real question is, are you serious about wanting to go to heaven? Because God assures you, you can do it. You can get to heaven. Do you want to go to heaven? See, it's entirely up to you. Entirely up to you. God is ready to forgive you. God is ready to consider you reborn in Christ. If you're ready to repent of your sins, confess your faith in Christ openly as God's Son and your Lord and Savior, and be baptized so the blood that he shed on the cross for you can cleanse you of the guilt of all of your sins. And God will make you new spiritually. If you're a Christian who has slipped along the way, God's ready to forgive if you'll come to him in prayer through Christ. We'd love to pray with you and for you. We'd love to help you with baptism if you're ready to make that commitment. You can do it. Don't let the devil tell you otherwise. Don't listen to some of your friends or family members to tell you you can't do it. You can do it. You can get to heaven. Won't you come as we stand together and sing?